You are listening to a Crosspoint Peachtree City podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.crosspointptc.com. We haven't met. My name's Jamie, one of the pastor elders of our church. The guy privileged most Sundays with the responsibility and task of preaching God's word. And it really is a, a privilege, and not just on the, the biggest days of the Christian calendar, which this surely is. So we come together this Easter Sunday to steep in and, and celebrate the hope that's ours because Christ is risen, gathered together this morning, not because God, God gives bonus points for the high holidays on the Christian calendar but because a a 2,000 years ago empty tomb matters, which we'll see in full expression as we open up the scriptures together this morning. With that said, I'll invite you to open up to John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. Because it's not up on a screen behind me, I'll say it one more time. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. If you don't have a Bible, there should, I believe, be a Bible underneath one of the seats in the row in front of you. You're welcome to Grab one of those Bibles and use it during our time together this morning. If you don't own a Bible, uh, please take that as the church's Easter gift to you. We would be excited to know that you're exploring the truth claims of Christianity on your own time, not just in gatherings like these. As you're turning there and attempting to hold your page in this wind for the next little bit, I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to come together On this Lord's Day, this means of grace, this rhythm. Thank you for your word, without which we would know nothing of a crucified and risen Jesus. God, there are so many passages of scripture that speak to the evidence and relevance of the resurrection. Not just the gospel accounts. See it in the Old Testament, the foreshadowing of the coming of Christ, his death and and resurrection. We see it. All over the pages of the New Testament, God, we could have camped out in a hundred different places this morning. But I pray that as a result of our time in John's gospel account, that we would walk away encouraged, convicted, exhorted, comforted. Whatever you have for us, Lord, that you would meet us in a unique way as we sit with the scriptures in front of us. God, I pray that you would give me a feeling sense of the very things I preach along with my brothers and sisters gathered on this lawn this morning. Ultimately, I pray that you would save the lost and that you would sanctify your children. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So if you dig into the, the archives of Crosspoint Easter Sermons past, you, you'll find quite a bit of time and attention, and those of you who have been around know this, given to the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. From the overwhelming testimony and proof that Jesus did in fact die to the great lengths to which the Pharisees went to make sure that the tomb was secure. Not to mention the hundreds of eyewitnesses that saw the risen Jesus dispelling the idea that the post-resurrection sightings were just some hallucination. To the overwhelming circumstantial evidence, including the Sunday worship of the Lord, though devout Jews had worshipped on Saturdays for thousands of years. 
the willingness of the disciples and so many more to go on an evangelistic tour that would get them mocked, beaten, imprisoned, put to death in torturous ways. So that for the resurrection of Jesus to simply be some hoax would mean that multitudes of people carried the lie to their blood-soaked graves. Including the Apostle Paul who went from insolent opponent and persecutor of Christ followers to church planting pioneersmen for the glory of Jesus. I'd commend those, those sermons of Easter past to you, particularly if you come in this moment with doubts regarding the historicity of the resurrection. But this morning's sermon is more focused on relevance than evidence. As I've articulated it before, the so what of the empty tomb. And make no mistake about it, there are a great many so what scattered throughout the scriptures. We looked at three of them last Easter. Perhaps none more explicit these so what's of the resurrection scattered throughout the Bible than what we find in the writing of the Apostle Paul in arguably the most central chapter on the doctrine of the resurrection in all of the Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, Paul says, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, Paul says, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Jesus has not been raised, then we Christians are of all people on planet earth most to be pitied, Paul says, having devoted our lives and entrusted our destinies to something imagined. If Jesus has not been raised, then Christianity crumbles. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Which, of course, Paul goes on to say in that very same chapter of the Bible, his triumphant declaration, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Offering up some of the most glorious words of hope in all of the Bible. One of the many passages bringing before us the, the relevance, the so what of the resurrection. Another being John chapter 20 where I had you open this morning. Which gives account not only of the empty tomb, the stone rolled away, the body of the Lord Jesus nowhere to be found. But two, of, of Jesus' appearing to a number of his disciples, not the least of which including Mary Magdalene and Doubting Thomas. Wedged between those two powerful encounters, this morning's passage, the evening of the Sunday that Jesus rose from the dead. If you look at John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, John tells us, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The disciples, they, they find themselves in, in a secluded room with doors locked for fear of what the Jews might do to them should they find them. After all, they, they had seen just days prior what had happened to Jesus. 
left with the natural question, are we next? And Jesus comes to them in the midst of their fears, John tells us, for all intents and purposes, a pretty standard eyewitness account of the risen Jesus in the days between his resurrection and ascension. And yet, in this short little paragraph, we come face to face with the relevance, the so what of the resurrection in at least four glorious ways. You can probably find more. I've found two already since prepping this sermon, more than what I'm going to preach even. Four wondrous gifts that are ours in Christ because he lives. Namely, the gifts of God's presence, God's peace, God's purpose, and God's power. It's the closest thing you'll get around here to a a good old-fashioned, alliterative Southern Baptist sermon. Though I would point out that I offer up four points, not three. The first glorious so what of the resurrection, the gift of God's presence. The presence of God in the person of the risen Jesus. Look at verse 19. Jesus came and stood among them. Jesus came and stood among them. Jesus would not have met the disciples that evening in the midst of their fear if Jesus had not been raised from the dead. To which some might say, no kidding. I didn't realize we were planning on spending our time, Jamie, this morning in the shallow end of the theological kiddie pool. And yet, here we come face to face in verse 19 with the greatest gift of the gospel. The gift of God himself. The gift of God's presence. The story of the the scriptures tell uh, a story from beginning to end of the presence of God. Present among and with the first of his image bearers in the long ago created beauty of the garden sanctuary of Eden. The Genesis story. Someday to be present among and with his people in the everlasting splendor and joy of the new heaven and earth. The Revelation story. Between those bookends, God's presence in redemption most beautifully and wonderfully in the stooping of Jesus into the slums of our broken world. The author stepping into his own story. Emmanuel, God with us. Christ having come to live and walk amongst the fallen humanity. That he might rescue a people for himself into the very presence of God. The presence of God himself. The greatest gift of the gospel. Some of you have heard me share this quote before. Probably won't be the last time I shared it. It was so jarring the first time I heard it. And it's just a good reminder every time I hear it since. John Piper in his book, God is the Gospel. The title kind of giving away where he's going there. He says... The critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? He goes on to say, Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. And people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven ultimately. It's a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. He says if we don't want God above all things, we have not been converted by the gospel. 
that what the disciples needed more than anything that evening in the midst of the fear and uncertainty they were experiencing was Christ himself. A presence that they nor we could know, you and I, if Jesus hadn't walked away from his own cold, dark tomb. Praise be to God for the risen Christ so that we can know the joy of his presence in our lives. A presence that we now know differently to be sure than we shall someday know when we see him face to face. And yet a presence nonetheless. A pres- the presence of the crucified and risen Jesus in your life. In my life. You couldn't say it's not about religion but a relationship if this weren't true. The second glorious so what of the resurrection being the gift of God's peace. You don't want his presence without his peace, by the way. The peace of God in the person of the risen Jesus. Again, verse 19. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Words that Jesus actually declares twice in this moment with his disciples. He would go on to declare it a third time later on in this very chapter. Peace be with you. In one sense, peace with God. The greatest peace of God and sinners reconciled. Helps to explain why Jesus shows the disciples his scars right after saying these words, peace be with you. Jesus having come to break down the dividing wall of hostility between holy God and sinful man. Making peace by the blood of his cross, Colossians 1.20. A peace, again, that would not be ours if Christ had not risen from the dead. His resurrection proof of the Father's acceptance of his payment for our sin in full. And with such peace, reconciling peace, another kind of peace. The experience of God's peace in the midst of uncertainty and fear. Which is exactly where the disciples find themselves here in John chapter 20. As Jesus meets them with those words, peace be with you. Let not your hearts be troubled, peace. John 14, 27. A heart-guarding, mind-guarding peace which surpasses understanding. Philippians 4, 7. A peace that many of us have experienced for ourselves in the midst of our own fears and uncertainties. We could sit around all afternoon and probably share personal testimonies of this experiencing of God's peace that surpasses understanding when we shouldn't have known a peace. A peace which Jesus could not have spoken over his disciples, nor could he speak over us had he not risen from the dead. God's presence and God's peace. And then there's the third glorious so what of the resurrection, the gift of God's purpose. An eternity impacting, mark making, reason for living in a world filled with aimless wanderers longing for purpose. The Ecclesiastes like stories are vast. And yet Jesus says, verse 21, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Ambassadors of Christ, commissioned with the good news of Jesus. Which I think gets to the heart of verse 23. This glorious promise that to anyone who puts their trust in Christ, his ambassador, Jesus' ambassador of the gospel, may declare in his name, your sins are forgiven. And that if anyone should scoff and turn away in unbelief, Christ's ambassador of the gospel may declare in his name, you are left in your sins. This may be another sermon for another day in terms of 
a fuller understanding and unpacking of these words of Jesus, which have tripped up so many throughout church history. But for the purpose of this morning, I want us to simply see that Jesus gives the disciples a purpose, an eternity-impacting purpose to wake up to every day of their lives. Not just on Sunday. As he too gives we who trust in him a purpose. Ambassadors of Christ, if you're a Christian, that's you. Commissioned with the good news of Jesus. Which is no good news at all if Christ has not risen from the dead. As we would have no living Christ to redeem us nor commission us. Nor would we have a living Christ to proclaim to a lost and dying world. And yet this morning we celebrate an empty tomb. And with that empty tomb a living Jesus. Who invites us to participate in the greatest rescue mission the world has ever known. When you wake up every day and breathe your first breath, it's with purpose to proclaim the excellencies of him, as Peter said, who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light, the light of the risen Jesus. Which brings me to the fourth glorious so what of the resurrection, for which we are absolutely desperate if we are to carry out our purpose as sent ones, namely the gift of God's power. Jesus said to them, peace be with you as the father has sent me. So even so I am sending you verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. A foreshadowing of the promise that would come to fulfillment on the day of Pentecost. The power of the spirit of God. Whom Jesus could not make good on his promise to send us. Had he not risen from the grave and ascended to the Father's right hand? John Stott writes, Without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver. No understanding without the spirit of truth. No fellowship without the unity of the spirit. No Christ-likeness of character apart from his fruit. And no effective witness without his power. As a body without breath is a corpse, he says, so the church without the spirit is dead. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead. And yet we can know the joy of what it is to be a living church this morning because we've been blessed with the spirit of a living Christ. A risen Savior and King who is not impeded in the least by the doubts, by the uncertainties, by the brokenness or or the fears that we may bring into this gathering this morning. After all, verse 19, notice, not only did the grave fail to hold his body down, but locked doors failed to keep him from entering into the uncertainty and fear of the disciples. Whether you take that to mean that Jesus passed through that door, Or that the locks were shaken loose as in the book of Acts by the miraculous power of God. Either way, on the evening of Jesus' resurrection, he went where many would say it was impossible for him to go. Because with God, all things are possible. There's no wall in your heart through which he cannot break No place in your life so dark and deep that he cannot reach with his redeeming power and love and lift you up. 
This is the risen Jesus we're talking about. I would ask this morning, do you know his presence? Do you know his peace? Do you know his purpose? Do you know his power? Perhaps for some, today is the day of salvation. The the day that Jesus breaks in and breaks through. He promises to receive anyone who comes to him. He promises to forgive all who trust in him. So I would invite you to repent of your sins and to turn to Jesus for the forgiveness that can only be found in him. To run to the empty tomb and see the penalty for your sin paid in full. To cast yourself on his promised mercy and to know that you will be saved. And if you are a Christian, we have reason to worship the risen Jesus with great joy this morning. So many wondrous gifts of grace that are ours in Christ because he lives. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources, and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O. S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E P-T-C dot com.